So we'll be focusing today on sadness and sorrow and grief because these are one of the core emotions that we have and we find expressions of them throughout Scripture and particularly throughout the Psalms. So uh, much like we did for Mother's Day when we focused on love and longing as sort of a launch pad, utilizing Mother's Day as a launch pad uh, to get us into those emotions, we'll use uh, Memorial Day and the, the, the poignancy of Memorial Day, which is focused on those that were that were uh, not able to return from the, from the fields uh, as, as our focus today on sorrow and grief. Um, but we'll, we'll take it from the idea that sadness is, a, is an emotion that transcends um, race and gender and socioeconomic uh, standing. It's, it's an emotion that all of us feel at various times for various reasons. It's one of the core emotions, and it's the root emotion in sorrow, grief, and despair. Uh, it, it, it's, at its sort of irreducible uh, essence, sadness refers to emotional pain, emotional pain, usually associated with the loss of some sort. It's generally contrasted by happiness or contentment. And the interesting thing about sadness is it's not necessarily bad. It doesn't feel as good as happiness or contentment, uh, but it can be uh, a very positive thing in our lives to experience sadness and to, and to work through the emotion and work through the loss, work through the pain, uh, can give way to great, great things. So next week we'll be looking at joy, which often comes out of sadness. Joy uh, has been uh, described by one author as, uh, as sorrow's flower. And I love that image of joy being sorrow's flower, and we'll talk more about that next week. Uh, but sadness and sorrow are interesting. They can be uh, tied to something very significant and also something very insignificant. They can uh, be something that lasts for a long time um, or lasts just a moment. Uh, in fact, last week we talked a little bit about uh, baseline swing and recovery. So if you weren't here, I'll give you just a quick uh, sort of recap on that idea. And uh, you can see that there's a line that runs through horizontally. That's kind of your normal baseline happiness. Some people are Tiggers and their line is up here and other people are Eeyores and their line is down here. And wherever your line is, if a positive event happens, uh, that takes you up. That's your swing. And the amount of time it takes you to come back to baseline is what we call recovery. So if there's a negative event, something that makes you sad, something that involves loss, something uh, that brings emotional pain, your happiness goes down and then it comes back to baseline eventually. And we talked about it in the example of a cupcake, eating a cupcake, the anticipation building, the positive uh, happiness that comes along with the cupcake, and then you kind of return to baseline as the cupcake is gone. And, uh, and, and last week, we talked about the ability to set a trajectory for our emotional climate, for our baseline, that it's either moving up slowly and steadily over time, or it's moving down slowly and steadily over time. What I want to start with today is looking at this red line and what this, uh, this return to baseline looks like. Some of you might be familiar, if you took freshman psychology, with uh, the, the five stages of grief or the idea of stages of grief. I believe her last name was Kubler-Ross, the, the psychologist that um, first did this work and put it in a way that we could, uh, we could understand it. So you see that dip there, and I don't expect you to be able to read all of those, uh, but she originally identified five different stages of grief. The first stage, as the event happens, is, is either shock or denial, and, and you just kind of 
knocked off kilter, uh, maybe deny that something has taken place or, or can't believe that this is happening. Um, that would be one of the first stages. Then as you move downward, there's anger, there's blame, there's guilt. As you reach sort of the bottom there is depression and loneliness perhaps. Um, and, and, and some people kind of get stuck there. Um, and, and that can be a real challenging uh, thing to deal with. That's depression. That's, uh, that's maybe a clinical case or, or something like that where you need some help moving back upwards, which is where dialogue or maybe bargaining starts to take place where you want to tell people about it, you're ready to talk about it. Uh, it can be a very positive thing as you, remove, you return back up towards baseline. Um, and then once you reach baseline, again, that's uh, titled acceptance or empowerment, where uh, you're able to return to a normal life. Now, without being able to see all the little words there, you kind of get the picture. And uh, it's interesting, throw the next slide up there, uh, you see that, that it doesn't always move in a linear fashion. Um, often, <laughs> I've been there, uh, my experience looks much more like the one on the right. I'm just kind of like a ping pong ball in there moving around. And, and you'd love for it to just be okay, I'm done with shock and denial. I'm ready to move on to anger, blame, and guilt. And, and then you move through that. And, and not to make light of this at all. I mean, I, I've had experienced loss and emotional pain where I got stuck at the bottom of this, and I didn't know how to get back up. I used to think that, you know, depression should be impossible for Christians because we have so much to be thankful for, so much to be grateful for, so much that's positive. I mean, eternity has been given to us, eternity with Christ in his presence, singing his praises forever. And then I experienced depression, and I couldn't get myself out of it, and I got stuck at the bottom. And so... um, we tend to meander through the various stages at best. So the image that I like is this one that shows a ribbon kind of moving through the various stages. And this is what I find as a pastor, this is what I've experienced personally, that we often kind of go through one and we think we're done and nope, we loop back up and come back through. And it's not quite as schizophrenic as the other uh, image that I showed, but it does very much convey this idea that there is no two identical experiences of pain or grief or loss. There's no two that are the same. It's certainly not linear. There's no set timeline. Um, And what is required along the journey, regardless of who you are or who you are walking this pain with, is compassion and patience. Have compassion for yourself and patience with yourself. Have compassion for those you know who are suffering who are experiencing sorrow and grief and some form of loss. Uh, for us personally, the, probably the greatest uh, experience of loss that, that we have felt in our family was a miscarriage of, of our children. We had two separate miscarriages uh, a little over a year apart, and uh, the first one was bad enough in its own. And then the second one was much further along. We were kind of thought we were over the hump um, as far as... as the threat of miscarriage when the second one hit us and hit us very, very hard. And um, it seemed like we grieved it more deeply and it took longer to come back. And it's interesting to me how that same event grieved different people in different ways and they had different timelines. And depending on how close you were or how much experience uh, the people that we knew had with that Uh, the the experience was very different. And so you look at a single event impacting many people in many different ways, and it's amazing that it still suddenly resurfaces 
almost out of the blue. Like, we know the day, and we kind of have a, we have an awareness that that day is coming. And this year for me, it was about two weeks before the day, I was looking at my Facebook memories, and there was a post from a friend that was, had kind of moved away. And it was a post inquiring about how the baby was doing, knowing that we were expecting, and that caught me off guard. And all those emotions came back through. And so this is the complexity of human emotions, that, that it, even when we think we've kind of gotten past something, it's there. We are complex emotional beings. And so that's why it matters to us individually. But I want to share with you as a church, this, this matters to us corporately. This matters to us as a family of families because I look out over the crowd and 250 or so people that are here, and I know many of the things that you're grieving, many of the things that you're struggling with, many of the things that, that you're in process with right now or, or are a part of your story. And we come together as a family of families, and we have an opportunity to, to come alongside, to come alongside those who are somewhere on that cycle of grief and to reach people for Christ, to give them a place to belong and to help them grow in their faith because that's always an opportunity as we go through these emotional experiences. They have the opportunity to draw us closer to God, draw us closer to the fellowship of the believers and draw us closer uh, or strengthen our faith. And so that's always an opportunity And one of our core values here at Linwood is caring for others, caring for each other. We do that within the church, and we do that outside the church in our missions and outreach work. And uh, it's amazing to me to think about how, how powerful somebody showing up at my house with a meal has been during some of our deepest stages of grief. I was meeting with the Caring Ministries uh, team this past week, and I, I recalled that I don't think we, I don't think we cooked for a month. Uh, after that second miscarriage. I mean, people just kept showing up. They wanted to give some tangible expression of love. And so I want to encourage you. I mean, this is just one kind of highlight, uh, but we're starting a team of people that might be willing to, to take a meal to somebody who is experiencing loss or experiencing illness. And if that's something that you might like to be a part of that team, when an opportunity comes along, you just receive an email with some slots that you can fill in. And if it works for you, great. And if it doesn't, that's okay. But if you're interested in that, take out your connection card, check one of the boxes, and, and just say meals, and then make sure your email address phone number are on the card, and that'll give you a great opportunity. Our caring ministry does a phenomenal uh, amount of, of work and of ministry uh, in this church, and uh, this is a great way that you can get involved in that. And if you have been feeling God kind of tugging your heart to get more involved in some way, caring ministry might be a great opportunity for you uh, to, to step in, and, and whether it's sending cards or making visits or, um, or reaching out to people. Uh, after they've been ill, there are a lot of ways that you can be involved in a lot of things that that ministry does. And that's why it matters to us because there's no way to under, underestimate the importance of Christian community. And you want to have the Christian community in place prior to experiencing the loss, prior to experiencing the emotional pain. If you, if you invest and if you contribute and if you're engaged and you're consistently apart, then when something happens, there are people swarming around you to help you. They want to walk alongside you. They want to encourage you and strengthen you and comfort you. But if you wait until you need it, we'll try our best. 
but the relationships aren't there, the knowledge isn't there, the familiarity isn't there. And so I want to encourage you uh, to lean into that and to establish the opportunity uh, because there are a lot of hurting people in this world. There are a lot of hurting people out there in this community that we need to reach for Christ and give them a place to belong and come alongside them and walk through their pain with them. Because there are a lot of hurting people in here. There are a lot of hurting people in this church, in this congregation, that need a family of families to walk through life with them. We are better together. When we come together, when we share our grief and we share our sorrow and we share our pain, we divide it. And when we come together and we, we share our joys and we share our, our wins and we share our blessings, we multiply those. And so Christian community has the ability to divide our sorrows and to multiply our blessings and our joys. And so that's why this matters to us corporately. As we look to Scripture, we find that sorrow and grief are frequent subjects throughout Scripture and especially in the Psalms. Suffering and loss are common to the human condition. You cannot get through this life without experiencing sorrow, without experiencing grief. It seems that some experience more than others, and we don't have a great, uh, we don't have a great answer for why that is, but we do see that throughout Scripture, people have experienced suffering and loss, even the idea of divine sorrow, even the idea that God can grieve, that God can experience suffering and sorrow. We see that Christ was referred to as a man of many sorrows, acquainted with grief. We see him weeping at Lazarus's tomb. We see him weeping over Jerusalem on the triumphal entry day the week before his crucifixion and we see him in the garden sweating great drops of blood and weeping and begging if there's any way that this cup can pass to someone else he was acquainted with sorrow he was acquainted with grief i want to look at two psalms in particular today they're both written by david and they give us some insight into an expression of this sorrow, an expression, and then what we can do with it and one of the rock-solid promises that we have when we are in the midst of it. The first is Psalm 6, and I want to look at verses 6 through 10. This is on page 847 in the blue Bibles that are in the seats in front of you. And uh, here, I'm going to read through it, and then we'll walk through it. If we just read through this, we see uh, David saying, I am worn out from groaning. All night long I flood my bed with weeping and drench my couch with tears. My eyes grow weak with sorrow. They fail because of all my foes. Away from me, all you who do evil. For the Lord has heard my weeping. The Lord has heard my cry for mercy. The Lord accepts my prayer. All my enemies will be ashamed and dismayed. They will turn back in sudden disgrace. Now, we don't know a whole lot about the context of this. If we read the first five verses, it seems like there's a, at least an inclination that perhaps this is related to something David has done. He talks about God uh, perhaps being angry with him and asking him to show him mercy. Uh, but oftentimes, the sorrow and the sadness that we feel has nothing to do with anything that we have done. But we do know from verses 6 and 7 that this is a pretty severe case of sadness and grief. This is far beyond the cupcake is gone and all the best cupcakes are behind me. He is talking about wetting his, his bed with weeping and drenching his couch with tears and being worn out from groaning. 
with his eyes grown weak of sorrow. Maybe you've been there. Maybe you've, you've actually cried so much that your eyes start to sting and they're dry and you're just exhausted, exhausted and overwhelmed. And it's this type of despair and hopelessness that, that comes at the very bottom of a severe uh, experience of grief. And it can stall out right there in despair and hopelessness. And so the encouragement in this time is to do just what David does. He cries out to the Lord. He cries out to the Lord. And he does not stop crying out to the Lord. And I believe he cries out to others. And that's the lesson to us in these moments. Don't go it alone. Don't go through sadness and grief alone. I've got this group of bananas up here. And you've probably been wondering, why did he bring the bananas up there? Yeah. Well, what do you do when you want to peel a banana? Do you try to peel a banana when they're stuck to the other six bananas? It's not very easy, is it? What do you do when you want to peel a banana? You break it off, don't you? And you get it away from all the other bananas. And then it's a lot easier to peel and eat that banana. And Satan knows this. And he knows that in our pain we are vulnerable. And in our pain, if he can get us isolated, if he can get us to withdraw, if he can get us away, that it'll be the banana that gets pulled from the bunch that gets peeled, not the ones that are sticking together. And I want that to be a powerful analogy to you and a powerful illustration to you of the importance of Christian community in your lowest points. That's when you need it the most. That's when you need to be reaching out. That's when you need to be crying out to people the most, crying out to God and crying out to the people that he's been put around you. Do you want this? Kid loves bananas. Nice catch. He thought they were for him. And I said, well, I wouldn't take them up on stage if they were for him. But we really must reach out. And we have a responsibility for, for those of us who see people and know people who are going through grief, going through sadness. It's on us, the ones that are still in the bunch, to watch for people who are isolating, watch for people who are, who are pulling themselves away. And we must reach out to them. We must come to them. We must sit with them in their grief. You don't have to know what to say. You can just show up. You can just show up, and that can be powerful in and of itself. And there's some encouragement that comes in verses 8 through 10. We see that David is convinced beyond any shadow of a doubt that God is with him, that God is aware of his situation. He has heard his weeping. He has heard his cries for mercy, and he has accepted his prayer. And David is confident that God will move on his behalf, that God will come to his aid and... uh, I think there's also a recognition in these verses of the spiritual element of deep sadness and deep grief that Satan is trying to isolate. Satan is trying to get us away. Satan is trying to cause us to question what we believe, causing us to question where our faith is resting. And there's something about sadness and grief and things that we never would have asked for that makes us vulnerable When we experience those things, it makes us vulnerable for the enemy to try to sow doubt in our lives, try to ask us, if God was really good, that wouldn't have happened. Or if God was really cared about you, that wouldn't have happened. And it becomes critically important in these times to really test the thoughts that you think. Test the words that you are hearing in your mind. Test the story 
that you are telling. Because in my experience, I call it the three P's. I got this from Henry Cloud. The three P's of deep emotional distress is that it's personal. It's all about me. It's my fault. I'm being punished. I did something wrong. It's personal. It's pervasive. It's every aspect of my life is going to be impacted by this. Nothing is not going to be touched. Everything is going to change. Nothing will be the same. And it's permanent. It will never get better. It will always be the same. And all three of these are not true. They are not true. But we have to question. We have to question the source. Is this something that the Holy Spirit would say to me? Does this lead to life and joy and peace? Does this bring about the fruit of the Spirit in my life of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control? We have to question the thoughts, question the stories that we're telling ourselves in those deepest, darkest moments. And make sure that we know what God's Word says. Make sure that we know what God has promised to us. Because spiritual enemies will swarm around us in those times of deep sorrow. And we have to be able to rebuke them. We have to be able to cry out to God. And we have to return to the truth. Last summer, I preached a sermon series titled, What's True About You? And we talked about four truths about those of us who are in Jesus Christ. I am a beloved child of God in whom Christ dwells and delights. I am safe and secure in the strong and unshakable kingdom of God, which is never in trouble. I am never lost. I'm never alone because Jesus is always with me and he is never lost. And I am enough because God says he's enough. And I can tell you that those four affirmations are all rooted in scripture, rooted in God's truth, were the things that led me out of the bottom, led me out of the depression. And I wrote them every day for several weeks and I wrote them every week for several years. And they have reminded me, and they have preached the truth of the gospel. They have preached the truth about my identity back to me. And they came from that deepest, darkest moments of sorrow and led me back out of that. We have to remind ourselves of the truth. We have to remind ourselves of the beauty and the glory of the gospel, even when it doesn't feel like it. You see, we think that the the gospel is sort of like the diving board into the swimming pool. That's how you get in. Now, the gospel is the whole pool. The gospel is the whole pool. We need to preach the gospel to ourselves and to everyone we come in contact with as often as we have opportunity. The gospel is what sustains us. The gospel is what keeps us in track. The gospel is what keeps us moving forward. And so I want to finish with Psalm 34, verses 17 and 18. And and one of these great truths that you can count on. One of these great truths that you can count on. Verse 17 of Psalm 34 is on page 872. It says, the righteous cry out, and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. You want to know your bottom line today? God is with you in your sadness and grief. God is with you in your sadness and grief. And you remember the three Ps that I talked about. Personal, pervasive, and permanent. And how that experience of sorrow and sadness and grief and depression feels personal, permanent, and pervasive. Let me tell you, God is with you in those moments, and he is the one who is personal. He has a personal interest in you. In fact, he's crazy about you. 
And he is pervasive. He touches every aspect of your life. He is in every circumstance and every situation. He has promised that he will never leave you or forsake you, that you will never walk alone. When you come to him, when you come into the family of God, when you become a child of God through faith in Jesus Christ, you get a rock-solid promise that God is with you in your sorrow and in your grief, that you will never walk alone. And it's a permanent promise. It is a permanent promise promise. He's promised. He is with you. He is for you. And he knows and he cares and he invites you to cast all your cares upon him because he cares for you. So when verse 17 says the righteous cry out and the Lord hears them, he delivers them from all their troubles, you might say, well, does that mean that I got to be righteous? I got to do the right things in order for God to hear my prayers? And, and pre-Christ, that's kind of exactly what it meant. They were in a religious system where what you do determines what you get. And if you're righteous and you do the right things, then the, the religious system they were in said, then God will hear you and God will rescue you and God, who is a covenant God, will uphold his end of the covenant. Now that we are in Christ, now that Christ has done what needed to be done, lived a perfect sinless life and died a horrifying death on the cross, we, when we come to faith in him, when we receive the gift that he has given us of, of salvation, we get his righteousness. So where religion said what you do determines what you get, Christianity says what Christ did on your behalf determines what you get. Those of us who are in Christ, when we cry out, the Lord hears us. And he delivers us from all our troubles. And now you're saying, oh, Pastor Mark, (laughs) I know a lot of righteous people. I know a lot of people who are Christians. I know a lot of people who put their faith in Christ, and they did not get delivered out of all their troubles. And I would say to you, if they haven't yet, they will if they are in Christ. They will. He works all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Doesn't do it on our timeline. Doesn't even do it in this little fragment, this little sliver of time that we call our lives in the scope of eternity. But if you are in Christ, he is taking care of eternity. He is taking care of forever. And he is working all things together for good. I also want to point out that the Hebrew word that we translate there as troubles really means distress. And I believe that, that it's saying that there is troubles, those are the external circumstances that happen to us, and there is distress. Because I have met people and I have walked through difficult times with people who had a host of troubles, but not very much distress. Because God had delivered them from the internal distress that their external struggles had brought upon them. Are you tracking with me? That the circumstances don't tick dictate what happens in here. And if you are in Christ and you have the hope of heaven and you have the rock-solid promise that he's working all things together for good, then you can have troubling circumstances without experiencing distress. And I've known people that had extremely wonderful circumstances in almost every sense of the word, and they were in distress. So circumstances, the external, doesn't correlate necessarily with the internal. But if Christ is in here, and you keep coming back to that and the promises and the hope that you have, then you are delivered from all your troubles. And finally, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. This is where we get our bottom line, that God is with you in your sadness and grief. And he saves those who are crushed in spirit. So even when your spirit is crushed, And it feels like you're just being ground into the ground. 
He is there. He is with you, and he is working all things together for good. Jesus said himself in Matthew 5, 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, those whose spirits are crushed, those whose spirits are mourning, those whose spirits are grieving, because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven, and in so doing, he highlighted a spiritual truth that oftentimes it is the deep sorrow, the deep sadness that can become the doorway to salvation. It's that experience of loss. It's that experience of deep grief that can become the doorway to salvation. I've seen it over and over again as people sort of strip away everything that they've been relying on and put their faith and their hope and their trust in Christ. They rely upon him, they cling to him, they trust in him and him alone. And for those who already have, experience of deep grief, experience of deep loss can lead to a deeper connection, a deeper trust, a deeper level of surrender for those who are saved. I was saved, I've been saved for over a decade when I went into my season of depression. And I came out of that with a deeper reliance upon God, a deeper trust in God. I saw that he was the constant in my life, not the spiritual attack, not the circumstances that ebb and flow. None of those other things that he was with me, he was for me. And the same can be true. So you have to come back to this rock solid assurance that God is with you in your sorrow and in your sadness and in your grief. And you are not alone. And you are not alone in feeling alone, if that is you. And if it's not you, then ask the Spirit to give you eyes to see somebody who is struggling with grief, that you could walk alongside them, that you could encourage them and strengthen them, that you could reach out to them. Because God invites us to cast our cares upon him. He invites us to come to him when we are weary and heavy laden, and he says he will go with us. He will Carry the weight with us. We are not going to be alone. He invites us to cry out to him. And so as we bring this service to a close, uh, we're going to do it a little different than than we normally do. Uh, You're going to have an opportunity to come forward and to be anointed. If you are experiencing sadness and grief right now, if you're in a season of that, or if you want to come on behalf of someone else, You'll have an opportunity to come forward. I'm going to make my way right down here. Pastor Zach is going to be right over here. Um, And if you come forward, we will simply anoint you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And if you want to remain and pray, you can come over to one of the altar benches and pray. You can come along the steps if those start to fill up. If you'd like somebody to pray with you or pray for you, you can go over to the far outside ones. And uh, we will come and pray with you when we're done, or an LBA member or a prayer team member. Uh, anyone can come and just put a hand on the shoulder and pray. But this is an opportunity for you to experience God with you in the midst of your sadness and your grief. Or you can come on behalf of somebody else and come to the altar and intercede for them. But I'm going to close this in prayer. We're going to have a time of response and worship and a time of responding to God and, and have, coming forward to be anointed if you'd like to do just that. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you even more for your presence in the midst of our sorrow, in the midst of our struggles, in the midst of our grief, that you are the God who comes to us and abides with us to bring us strength, to bring us encouragement, to renew our hope and our faith. And so, Lord, we 
thank you for that. And I want to lift up each and every one here today who would say, I'm experiencing sorrow. I'm experiencing grief. May they have a tangible expression of your presence with them today. For those that would come forward and be anointed, Lord, we pray that that nothing would hinder them from coming and that they would experience your peace and your presence and your power at work in their lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.